thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Hello, dear sisters. Welcome to the Wild Awake Women podcast. My name is Imogen Bailey. I'm a birth and an end-of-life doula, which is a non-medical support person. I'm also a women's circle educator, and I'm super passionate about the ancient tradition of women coming together and telling their life stories, sharing their stories and their life experience and their wisdom and passing it down to each other so that we can learn and grow through each other and with each other. It is my absolute honor to interview some incredible women and to talk about their journeys, their aha moments, the moments when they've made changes, they've taken risks, and they've gone on their life mission from the heart. Well, Wild Awake Women, today I am joined by a best-selling author, Amy Malloy, who has written an incredible book called The World is a Nice Place, How to Overcome Adversity Joyfully. And I heard Amy speak a few weeks ago at a women's rally that I was at, and I thought I have to get her on because her talk was absolutely incredible. So thank you for joining me, Amy. I'm so happy to be chatting. So t- let's just dive straight in and tell me about your best-selling book. <gasps> yes. Yeah, so um, it was probably 10 years in the making in terms of research, although I definitely didn't realize at the time that I was researching what would become a book. Um, I've been a journalist since I was 22 when I first got my um, first ever job at the Daily Mail when I was living in London. and. I began to gravitate towards the stories of incredible people who survived incredible things. So over the next 10 years, that ranged from um, tsunami survivors, 9-11 rescue workers, um, people who suffered from grief and loss and heartbreak and breakdowns and breakthroughs, and just this vast spectrum of people who'd faced any kind of challenge and I began to um, quiz them for their coping mechanisms, um, particularly those who had imag- managed to emerge from the worst experience of their lives while still being hopeful, um, while still looking forward, and whilst not letting their past define them. And, um, you know, fast forward 15 years, and that became the basis for the book. It's amazing. And that, and that it's, it's been a personal experience for you too, hasn't it? Mm, yeah. So, I mean, within that, the other strain of the book is that the reason I think I gravitated towards these people in the first place is because in my short life, I had faced so much adversity. So, um, I had, as a small child, I had obsessive compulsive tendencies. I became a teenager with an eating disorder. When I was 17, um, overnight, my father was paralyzed from cancer. And then after he went into remission, after many years of treatment, um, then I was widowed three weeks after my wedding day when I was 23. Mm. And so that was really just as I was stepping out of university, stepping into my career as a journalist, um, trying to grapple with that past myself. And, you know, wondering how I was going to professionally fit into this world of media. Um, And so 
I began to, you know, seek out these stories, of course, because I wanted to share them with the world, but of course, also because I needed to heal myself. And I wanted to, um, I, you know, I realized I was in this unique position as a journalist, I got access not only to these incredible people, but also incredible experts, you know, I've been able to sit down with um, experts, psychologists, therapists, healers, um, gurus, for want of a better word, across the world. And I've had access to them. And if I hadn't been a journalist, there's no way I could have, you know, been given the time with them or been able to afford them. And so, yeah, th this became the book, this mixing of real stories of real people and incredible knowledge from incredible experts um, became the basis of the book and also became the basis of my personal healing journey. Um, so, yeah, I was very lucky to have access to all that. And what, was there a through line as when you were speaking yes. to these people? Tell, tell us about what that was. Um. It became, because I mean, I definitely have to say not all of the people, not all of the survivors I spoke to were empowered, mm. you know, definitely not, you know, for everyone I spoke to who were able to say, you know, I've lost, but I still loved, um, you know, I've faced heartbreak, but I still can act from my heart and live from my heart. I also met people who you know something happened to them when they were 17 and now in their 50s they were still hurting just as much from it or people who you know their marriage had broken down in their 20s and now in their 60s they've never been able to go on to love again mm. um and even in my own family like I've got a very rich history of mental illness in my family particularly in the women and I've seen how you can get stuck and trapped in something that happened in your past and just never, ever be able to break out of that ever again. You know, literally to, to your death when you're still taking that forward with you. Mm. And so I realized that, uh, you know, from talking to people that we do have a choice and that's very much oversimplifying it because it's not like you just wake up tomorrow and go, okay, I choose to get over this now. I think, you know, I talk in the book, I say that I'm not a naturally happy person. I think anyone with my history of mental illness in our family just isn't, can't describe themselves as a naturally happy person, but I'm a strategically happy person. Mm. And that was the strain that I found that all of the empowered survivors I spoke to consciously talked about how hard they work on a daily basis to be hopeful um, despite tragedy. So they weren't, it wasn't just a coincidence that they were able to, you know, get over it for want of a better phrase. They actually were like strategically working every day to find ways to support themselves and um, to find ways to give themselves hope to move forward. And, you know, that's what I do. Some of my friends are amazed after reading the book. I've had one of my best friends said to me, I didn't know you worked so hard to be happy. <laughs> she mm. said, I thought you were just you were just a happy person. And I said to her, like, I just I don't even know if I believe that, you know, just happy people, people are just born happy or just wake up happy. I don't even know if I believe that that's a thing. Like the happiest, most contented people I know work the hardest to be that way. And they don't begrudge it. You know, I don't I don't mind that I have to use these tools and strategies and rituals every day like I think it's worth it and if I will have to do this until my last day on earth I will have to work these steps but I don't mind that and none of the people I've spoke to 
who are strategically happy have said that they mind. They're just so relieved to have been able to say, I live through this and I still love my life. It's And it's, I mean, you're the first person that I've actually heard put those words together like mm. that. And I heard you say that in the talk and I, and I was thinking, you know, this would be so important to say this to to young people, you know, to yes. teenagers and, and even kids in primary school because, I mean, I've even heard members of, of my family who are, are children who've said to me at different points, oh, I don't feel happy today. Mm. And, and, and I do think that there's, and I know that I probably it's best to relate it back to myself, I, I do know when I was a kid and I had social anxiety and I would think, well, I don't feel like I'm having as much fun or I'm yes. as happy as the other person in the room. Therefore, I'm inadequate or I'm a failure or I'm doing something horribly wrong. And I know that my brain is, is quite strategic and if you had have said to me that that little Imogen, if you had have said, hey, little Imogen, it's if I could give you this word, be strategically happy. Yes that I would have grasped onto that and I would have, you know, I'm very good at discipline, so I would have grasped onto making it a practice. So, um, mm. And I think in the past I might have been embarrassed to admit that, maybe, mm. you know, in my mid-20s. Yes. Um, you know, it would have been something I would probably be quite ashamed of that I have to work hard to be happy. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, the same. You just think, oh, everyone else just seems to be happy. You know, why do I, why does it so come so hard to me? But actually now, thankfully, I realise that, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of and actually mm. something to be proud of. And do you find that with daily practice and, and mm. you know, I think for lack of a better word, I will say discipline because I think discipline, yeah. you know, c can also mean to be disciplined to do something on a daily basis, right, mm. that we choose as a non-negotiable that's good for us. But do you find that, that that's what it is for you is that it's it's like a daily practice yeah in small ways I always say um I gently work hard to be happy mm. um and it's very it's it's not I mean there have been times in my life when I've been at crisis point you know um you know I I was widowed once I'm divorced once and now I'm happily married and after I was divorced I really had to gently work hard like you know my days were pretty much devoted to trying to support myself through it for that short space of time mm. you know now I'm at a time in my life where I'm you know thankfully um, everything is a lot more peaceful naturally but of course I still you know I've got a four-month-old baby and a nearly two-year-old and promoting a book at the same time with a husband that works away a lot of course we all face some kind of adversity every day and so the things i my type of discipline now is quite simple, quite small. I talked about the event that every night I light a candle in my bedroom and I say, help me to act from a place of love and not fear. And so I just have those small rituals in my life now that I really bookend my day with um, just so that I know I begin on a supportive note and I end on a supportive note. And then um, I can kind of face whatever else comes in the middle of it. Um, but, you know, the book is really a really... Um, a toolkit with hundreds of small little rituals and strategies and processes that you can pick and choose what works for you and what fits around your life I think you know we're busy busy people mm. and we can't all you know run off to a two-week silent retreat every time we need to support ourselves yeah. and so I really wanted to like fill the book with real world strategies that we can do even if we've only got 
five minutes to spare, but make a huge difference to our mental health. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I, because I think you've really um, hit on something there that is so important is that we, you know, we don't all have the time to be doing practices no. like going away to retreats and things. And, and that's a, a luxury that if you can afford it, that's incredible. And but that's all, beautiful. You know, I've yeah. done all that as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, if you can, definitely, but I think, yeah, but that can't be what your basis of your self care is because yeah. it's just not sustainable. And it gives us excuses to let it all by fall by the wayside. If we just go, oh, I can't, I can't do it because I can't. I don't have time or I don't have money or anything like that. We need to make sure our tools are accessible to, to ourselves at every stage of our lives. Yeah, and choosing what works for you. I love that yeah. you've written something that has so many choices. I'm all about offering people choices and I'm, you know, I'm really excited to hear that you've done that. So is there a particular person's story? I know that you, um, you know, did this over 15 years. It's a long time. Mm. But is there a particular person's story that stood out for you? Mm. I think there's definitely a few, and it, it kind of it almost depends on what day you ask me what comes into yes. my mind. Definitely, um, one that always stuck with me was, and and this was way before I was even thinking of having children of my own. Was I I interviewed a mother whose um, nine year old son had um, taken his own life, mm. and it was she spoke with such grace and she didn't hide her hurt at all you know she spoke about the absolute heartbreak she felt of course but she spoke just with such grace and such respect for the joy that he brought into his life and um and yeah she just spoke with such um I think openness that her life wasn't over mm. you know I think there's a lot of dialogue we can use when trauma happens you know my life's over and I'm never going to get over this and I think I was just struck by the fact that she never said any of those things. Um, you know, she told me about her plans for the future and she was a documentary maker and she told me about like the, the happiness that she felt from still creating the art that she'd always loved to create. And, you know, her life, despite this unimaginable thing, hadn't stopped on that day. Mm. Um, it had changed and she was absolutely open about that and it was a change in a way that would never go back to what it was before but it was definitely still moving forward and I thought god if she can if she can look forward then we can look forward um and yeah that one's always struck me and even more now than I'm a mother mm. and you and speaking of being mothers um let's talk about your because you also had a, a wonderful birth story mm. with your last birth um, and I know that it was shared on social media and got 80,000 likes yes. in like 48 hours. And was, yes. I think you called it a joyful birth. Is that right? Mm. Yes, I yeah. did. So that was my Tell daughter. So that was my first birth. Um, yeah, we were really lucky to do a beautiful course called She Births with anyone who's having a baby in Sydney should definitely look up. So it's a mixture of calm birth and active birth. Mm -hmm. So again, they give you this big toolkit that you can then have the freedom to use through your labor depending if you want to be active or you want to be calm or somewhere in between and so we ended up having this this beautiful natural birth um, in a hospital because my my husband's very he's a um, environmental scientist so he's very scientifically 
minded and I'm definitely more of the creative slightly hippy dippy one so we met in the middle and had a compromise of like you know not we're not having a home birth but we're going to transform our hospital room into a sanctuary that feels like home mm. so honestly like I laugh at the thought of us he literally dragged a cart through um the hospital when I was in labor <laughs> filled with like cushions and carpet and sarongs and a fridge and aromatherapy oils and um salt lamps and transform the hospital room into this like we had midwives just coming in saying like can we just hang out here this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) but it was truly um you know I talk into book about you know the importance of making your space feel safe Mm. and so we we created this safe space within the sterility of hospital and we were lucky enough to have this beautiful birth and also um my husband really wanted to capture the entire um length of my labor from pre-labor through to baby emerging because he said you know particularly as a man his view of birth was always just like you water's birth and then you're screaming and swearing and then the baby pops out yeah whereas he said he was amazed that you know we woke up in the morning I knew I was in labor we went out for breakfast for chai tea we walked up and down the beach we had this we did some baking we did some yoga we had this beautiful day at home before we got to the juicy stage where I said, actually, we're going to go to hospital now. And so he really wanted to show this full spectrum of birth and just how fun it can be. Mm. And that was the reaction I had from people when they saw the video. They were like, you look like you're having so much fun. And I said, well, we were, you know, that's what labor was to me, of course. I mean, you see at the end, you can see when it goes up a gear, um, when I'm transitioning and, you, you know, it's pretty obvious. Um you, you know everything about me changes in that moment but even so it's just this this different view of birthing that um I wanted to put out into the world and we really made it for friends and family and we were staggered when you know it's like 95,000 people or something have watched it now so it yeah it blew us away but I think actually I understood why because I um I read an article about sharing my birth story online and um one of the my favorite things that I read was that um, women in the 1960s wanted to share, when they shared birth stories, they wanted to focus on safety. Mm. And of course, that's so important. But women today, um, they want to focus on choice. So, And I thought that really struck me because I think that's why I became a storyteller, to show that we can all go through the same challenge but we have a choice in how we deal with it and we have a choice with how we support ourselves and how we emerge out the other side and so I think definitely as a young widow I wanted someone to give me permission to say you can come out of this as a hopeful loving soft person you don't have to step out of this tragedy kind of saying life is hard I'm unlucky, I'm broken, I'm never going to be able to love again. I wanted someone to say, you have a choice for the kind of widow that you can become. Um, So, yeah, I think that's what storytelling, the importance of storytelling is to me. So to give people hope and choice no matter what they face. Yeah, and I I love that you said that because as a birth doula, it's one of, you know, it's one of our mantras is we Mm. are about choice, we're about walking beside people and guiding people through choices that ma- they make in the birth space. And I think that you, you, you're you right, that that's why your story was shared so many times. I love mm. that. I, 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 there's 
so many things about that story that I love. I love that you acknowledge that your husband comes from a science background and that yes. is why he he wanted you to be in a hospital and that you honoured that. I love that he then honoured what you wanted and he mm. carted all these items into the space. <laughs> I love that the hospital staff were, um, you know, enjoying that and reveling in that because I, I find that too in the birth space that when I'm there as a doula that often midwives will say to me this is just beautiful this is why I got mm. into this work is mm. to be able to see people having a, an experience that is that is theirs and, and I know, trusting I think we were so lucky our midwife she had a lot of experience of home yeah. birth and she and I actually saw her I went back to the hospital two weeks ago to do a talk about water births um, again they wanted someone like a real woman to share their experience to midwif- midwifery students mm. And I saw my midwife and she said, I will always remember your birth. She said, I just, she just sat in the corner and she said, you two have got this. You know what you're doing, despite it being your first birth. You know how to support each other. If you need me, I'm here. If Mm. I need to step in, I will. But you've got this. And I think that was that incredible trust. Like I trusted I knew how to birth. My husband trusted I knew. And she, as an expert, trusted we knew. And I think, again, that that can be transitioned to every area of a life. Mm. You need to, you know, trust what do you, my life coach taught me to say um, to myself, what do I need to feel good right now? And that's something I do every single day. Mm. And definitely when I'm challenged, like, what do you need to feel good right now? And yeah, in the birthing suite, that became even more important. So we, you know, transformed our room and also our mindset to make me feel the best that I could in the most challenging situation that I'd ever experienced. And you can see, actually seeing you guys together with your baby, you can see there's a synchronicity between mm. you two in the way that you're, even in the way that, you, that you're passing the baby between you during the day at the event that we were at, I was like, there's a real synchronicity between those two. So much happening without a spoken word at all. Yeah. And we couldn't be more different <laughs> in many ways. Like, like, it was so I have, um, you know, the folder we took into the hospital when I was giving birth and my husband adorably had um, laminated spreadsheets with things <laughs> that he could do to help me all very neatly typed out, like beautiful with like acupressure points and, you know, powerful things he could say and what not to say and everything. And I had this like scrappy piece of paper with like crayons, mantras and like circles and doodles and stuff and little like heart (laughs) explosions. And, but you know, when you dug down into both of them at the Mm -hmm. core, they were both saying the same thing. The advice that we were doing, the ways we wanted to support ourselves, the, the, the mindset we wanted was the same, but we were just approaching it in very different different ways. Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) It works. I love it. And and so you are happily, you know, you're happily mm. married now and you have this wonderful life where you're, you know, you're doing your writing, you've got a best-selling book, you're the editor of the Collective Hub as, as well, mm-hmm. is that right? Yes. Uh, and you, you know, going around the country promoting and, and doing all these talks and, you know, you just, what struck me about you is that you are so open about your story and about you know your your foibles as well and it's just it's really moving to see but I think it's really inspiring for people to hear because so often somebody who is as um has the accolades that you have 
career-wise and being in an industry, um, you know, where where people are often kind of held up to this light of perfection that they wouldn't mm. be talking about the things that you're talking about. Mm. Yes, and that's really important to me. You know, my mother, who I do mention in the book, she's very much, um, she's she worked in human resources for um, her whole career and she was very um, always spoke very openly about her own battles with depression and anxiety and this was you know 10 years ago 15 years ago before mental health um, conversation was as open and trendy as it is now mm. and people would say to her like you know she had people pulling her aside and saying as a human resources manager I don't think you should be sharing that in a meeting like even if it is relevant, I, you know, you need to protect your reputation. And she was always very brave in sharing that story. And so I think she imparted to me the importance of, and I think it has to be relevant. You know, I'm not mm. just having like a normal conversation in the coffee shop and then being like, I was widowed, like, you yes. know, I've learned over <laughs> the years, which I did do at some point. Um, you know, I, I did have that tendency at 24, 25 in the real fresh stage of widowdom of kind of just exploding it out there at people at inappropriate moments with that kind of just that energy we've all felt, I think, after a trauma where we just have to get it out there mm. and we want to shock people. We want them to feel some sign of kind of reaction because we are feeling so much inside. So I've definitely been at that stage. And now, you know, 15 years on, um, I am very conscious um, about sharing in the right way, in a relevant way, um, and in the time and space that I think it's important to share. But yeah, I'm, you know, I think it's really important that we we talk, no matter um, what our status is or who we are, that we are very honest about, um, you know, what we all think sometimes behind closed doors like uh, you know there's been alarming numbers of young suicides at the moment I mm. just in the last few weeks I've seen three people within my out of Facebook circle who've taken their own lives and I think that is you know that is the worst case scenario but that is what we those are the people that we need to protect by having these conversations yeah I mean I think we're in a time now where we're becoming more and more populated and more and more isolated and storytelling is more important than ever mm. um, and so I applaud people like yourself who are looking at these traumatic stories but coming at them from a place that allows people to have hope um, but also giving people skills um, mm. I, and I'd love to hear if you, you know maybe if you've got some more tips yeah because you are right you know there are there are a lot of young people who are suffering and I think it would be great to you know, to have some more tips from you. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, this is a topic that I'm really passionate about. And um, I am doing a workshop on um, book writing, fictional, non-fiction book writing, but also within that, there's going to be a lot on storytelling for healing. Mm. Because I think we're at um, a very vulnerable stage because of social media. And this belief that um, to be authentic, we have to put it all out there. Mm. And I think people often say to me, you know, you share so much and you're so real and authentic, but actually I share just enough. Yes. Like I definitely don't share everything. Mm. Um, and I truly don't believe that you need to kind of pick apart your entire life to gift to people what you think they can benefit from. So True. like even in the book, you know, I've been married three times. My second marriage, you know, I mentioned in there that I was divorced but I don't delve into that marriage because of respect for my ex-husband. Um, and be because, you know, a lot of the real important lessons that I, 
I talk about in the book aren't um, don't I don't need to explain the ins and outs of that marriage for people to be able to learn from those lessons. And so um, I think, you know, in the age of social media where we can all literally bang out a caption and send it out into the world, I think we really need to be conscious about we, how we share our own stories, um, you know, whether that's in on Instagram or in an about section of a website or just in a conversation that we have with people in a coffee shop. And um, one really simple rule that I actually only began using when I was writing The World is a Nice Place is I do this with everything that I write about myself and I try and do it in conversation as well, but it's a little bit trickier, is that I ask, um, is this 100% true and is this 100% necessary? So, of course, is it 100% true? Is this true about myself and really true about what happened? Am I exaggerating it or downplaying it? Um, or am I literally telling the 100% truth? And the next one is, is it 100% necessary? So is it really benefiting me to share this? And is it really benefiting, benefiting someone else to hear this? Mm. And if you can't answer both of those questions, yes, entirely honestly, then just don't say it or don't share it or don't write it. Because I, you know, I just think we don't need to put everything out there. Um, and I think we can leave ourselves in a quite vulnerable situation to do so. Like I had a friend recently who um, she can't have a baby naturally herself. And so she was going through the process of trying to decide whether to um, have a baby with a surrogate. And she said to me, other people have said that I should write a blog post as I go through this. So I should start a blog and for after every appointment, I should write about what's happened and put it out there. And that'd be cathartic. And I actually said to her, like, I, I'm the first one to advocate writing as a form of healing. Mm. But why do you need to put it out there today? Like I said, like, write it, store it. And in, in six months or a year's time, go back, reread it, and then you can share it if you really want to. But, you know, just take that pressure off yourself to put every thought out into the world right now. Because the truth is, we, you know, Something that we might feel right now in the heat of the moment might not be 100% true and it might not be 100% necessary to share with the world. So I think, um, you know, that is my top advice for storytelling, for healing. You know, write it down for you first and then take a step back and then decide who and when to share it. Yeah, I think that's exceptional advice, Amy. It really is. Mm. And I, you know, I, I, I try to practice that myself now <laughs> as well, which is to really, if I do write something in, it's something that I'm going to share is to take a breath. And yeah. I like to tell myself to sleep on it as well. Yeah. Um, and my favorite mantra that was given to me um, by a teacher was, I have time. And whenever yes. I feel myself rushing to uh, you know work against something that I have to get something out or I have to do something I say to myself just take a breath and use that mantra I have time exactly and you know we the people I, I truly believe that the people who need to read like for me with my book the people that need to read my book it will end up in their hands mm. um, you know it doesn't have to be today but when they need it it will end up in their hands and I think you have to believe that as well with your story you know Whenever you choose to share it, if and when, the right people will hear it at the right time. And so you don't need to bang it out and get it out there on Facebook right now for fear of, like, I just need to get it out there. It's okay. You can, you can honor yourself by giving yourself the time to edit yourself. And I think that's, that's probably 
what we're losing a little bit of in this oversharing social media world. You know, give yourself um, the respect of editing yourself and sharing your story in the way that's going to serve you and other people best. Mm. And I know that you also have ghostwritten many stories for other people. Um, Mm. Why do you – I know you're very popular for that reason, telling healing journeys for other people. Why do you think people choose you? I think I – I don't know if it's just because I've been doing it a long time or just a a natural tendency that – ability that I have to do it but I I can step into other people's voices so to speak and so you know I've written people I've written stories for for men who are expert at a certain field or for women who've walked out of a certain trauma um you know in the business field in the fashion field and in the um you know I've written fictional novels for people that have had um, an idea for a character but don't have the skills um, all the time mm. to actually write 60,000 words on it. And so, so I think I've been quite adaptive in kind of stepping out of my own voice and stepping into someone else's mind. I think the other thing with um, non-fiction stories, so when I've been interviewing someone who's survived an incredible thing, is that I've never been afraid to ask the tough questions. And I think that's because, you know, from 17 years old, I sat in chemo um wards with my dad Mm. and as a 16 to 17 year old I sat there with surrounded by people who were a lot older than me who some were terminally ill and I just talked to them and I talked to them about the things that you know you're not meant to ask someone who is dying you know how do you feel and um what are your hopes and you know what's your prognosis and I think that kind of gave me this weird training even before I had been to university to study journalism of you know actually people don't mind you asking them those questions and they actually might even want to talk about it so rather than sidestepping them um I naturally without even thinking about it will always um kind of go straight to the heart of you know what 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 do I really want you know when someone tells me that they've had seven miscarriages and they're still having another round of IVS IVF I want to know how on earth are you still going like how are you Mm. still having how are you still living in a space of hope after that and also how far how many times are you going to try before you say maybe this this isn't the path for us and you know some people are scared to ask those questions but those are the those are the topics we need to talk about because you know if I was in that position that's what I'm going to have to think about those are the things that we're going to have to consider and it's going to be a lot easier if you remember I'm not the first person to go through this so I remember remember that article that I read years ago with someone else who'd been through something similar okay I feel less alone Mm. and do you think that that's because I mean the first thing that I think of when when you say that is I think about social media and people sharing on social media Mm. and the kind of depth that you're talking about even though that can happen in a short conversation but Mm. that it's happening in person and it's going to a deeper level and you know I I just don't think that we get that we get it in books like yours but in Mm. social media sharing of stories of tragedy and, and and things like that it's a it's a very surface 
Yeah, I think social media is a wonderful conversation starter. Yes. Um, and that's what I kind of try to, you know, I don't, I'm not a, a prolific user of social media, but mm. I do have Instagram, which I love. It's, it's the one that yes. feels safest for me yeah. at this moment. And um, I try to, um, you know, start conversations like um, when my little boy was 10 weeks old, I put up a social media post about how. I fell in love with him when he was 10 weeks old and yes. I admitted the complete disconnect that I had felt with him until that point. Mm. And, you know, it was probably only 60 words or something. Again, I didn't go into every detail, but I put it out there and I had so many messages from mothers and fathers saying, thank you for sharing. That's how I felt. And I've been walking around with this guilt and shame thinking I was the only one that felt this way. And really, I had shared very little Mm. Um, you know, even if you look on my Instagram, it's still up there. And it's it's not an in-depth analysis of my thought process. It's just a few sentences. But it allowed other people to, you know, maybe have a conversation with their spouse where yes. a husband turns to his wife and says, you know, I read a thing on social media today and, and Amy Malloy said this and I've never been able to tell you. But, you know, that's how I felt with our son, too. And so that's where I think social media comes into its own, just to trigger ourselves to give ourselves permission permission to say me too and mm. then we can have the in-depth conversation with our circle yes I think Facebook have even come up with now a tag that's uh, the conversation starter mm, I think <laughs> that's good, it's yeah. a conversation starter and it's a cup of coffee and I was like now that's good because that mm. is you know that is it's an invitation to have a conversation about this material which I think is is great because I am I am pro social media I do I do think that it's it is good for connecting people and it mm, gives too. us lots of information um, but I definitely am somebody who thinks that we can all benefit from um, taking time out from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I'm, I'm, and I'm a careful. cautious lover of social media. Yes. I absolutely love it. And, you know, I've, and, you know it's, I've had some incredible healing moments through social media. I found my life coach who is, um, you know, one of someone I talk a lot in my book and is my absolute saviour. I, I found her through Instagram. She's in South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I was working at Grazia Magazine at the time and I was absolutely, absolutely unhappy absolutely mm. exhausted crushed by the expectations I put on myself um one night I had a total breakdown in my office after all my staff went home went onto Facebook and an advert popped up for perfectionist rehab and you know five years later my life coach has been become one of my um you know most important confidants and I wouldn't be here without her. So wow. social media is very, very powerful. Um, I just think as a storytelling tool, definitely we need to probably protect ourselves a little more and um, literally just think three times about every word we write. Mm. And just rather than autopiloting um, a caption because we haven't posted in five days or because we kind of really like this picture of us, so we might as well just kind of write something just to go along with it. Um, just yeah thinking once twice and a third time about everything we write for our own sake and for everyone that reads it and do you have just out of curiosity when you do your writing do you mm. have what inspires you like do is there a place in your home that you like to sit and write or is there particular music what in, mm. is there things that you do I go out. I don't really, unless I have to, write at home. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of um, cafes that have their 
thankfully the owners <laughs> they know you just made me part of the furniture and so um I have always loved to write around people like I know mm. people love to write in quiet um but I need to be probably because I write about real people I like to be surrounded by real people mm. so hustle bustle noise um just that energy that kind of lifts you up and so I've always been lucky. I've always been able to be surrounded by people, but still get within a very still and quiet space to create. Um, at the moment, my, I've just finished writing the next book, um, which I started when my little boy was born and I've written over the last um, 18 weeks. And so my favorite thing of all has been just sticking him in a baby wearer, strapping him on. He sleeps for an hour and a half and I write. Wow. And there's just something so... That, you know, I will never, ever forget this time we've shared. Just, you know, sitting there with him, like feeling him breathe against me as I write. It's probably been the most healing process that I've ever experienced. And, yeah, one I will never, ever forget. Oh, you have to play this back to him. <laughs> I know. I'm sure he'd be sick of hearing me, hearing me talk about it. <laughs> and I, have a, I do have a couple of Wild Awake questions for you. I know you've already mm. spoken about your mother um, mm. who sounds like an incredible woman. Yes, so your, your grandmother, what is there something that you got from your grandmother that plays into your life mission now? So my mother's mother? Yes, it can, mm. or it can be either side. Yeah, I think I actually, you know, um, from my father's side, it actually wasn't my grandmother, my great-grandmother, mm. so my father's mother's mother. So she was widowed when she was 23 um, and her husband died in the war. Um, he was on a boat and that sunk and he died. And she, when I was very young, she gave me the letter that she was sent um, by the Queen, when, which, which was, you know, like basic letter they sent to every war widow mm. um, telling her that he had died. And I remember this, you know, obviously this was years, decades before that I knew I was going to be widowed myself. But I remember, like, I kept that in my drawer. And for, and I remember from a very young age that became something that meant an awful lot to me. And she actually, um, she never married again, but she did have a, a love child um, during the war. And, you know, this is the beautiful, um, you know, my dad's uncle. Um, and she actually read... I wrote another book when I was 23 called Wife Interrupted, which was a very different story about how I dealt with widowdom by going out and sleeping with lots of different men and becoming very, very promiscuous mm. and how that was just the only way that I knew to, um, you know, process the emotions that I was feeling at the time. And my great-grandmother read it. It was pretty graphic. It was pretty, you know, talking about not censoring yourself. Like it was very, very uncensored. Um, and it was very, very raw. And it was published when I was 23. So I was very, very young. And my great grandma was one of the first people in my family to read it. And she actually, when some of my family were like, oh, we're not sure if Amy should have written this. You know, it's very out there. She was actually the one that said, thank goodness she wrote that because that's how I felt. Mm. And, you know, and I was like, God, you know, my 94 year old grandmother who was saying, you know, as a widow decades before you, I felt like that too. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had another amazing email, again, from a woman in her 90s after that book came out. And she said, thank you for writing that book. I 
was also um, promiscuous after I was widowed in the war. And she said, I've carried that guilt around with me for 60 something years. And now wow. finally, I feel like I can forgive myself because I know I wasn't the only one. And so I think, God, that story, you know, that is the power of storytelling yeah. right there. It really is amazing. And mm. if you could teach a child one lesson, mm. what would it be? I think like we talked about earlier that it's okay to need, it's okay to need tools. It's okay mm. to need more than just waking up on the bright side. Um, and it's okay to, to, vo- to vocalize that to your teacher or to your parents to say, I, I need you to help me find a way to support myself. Mm. Um, because I think it's very easy for us as parents just to say, oh, I just smile or just distract you by like waving a toy at them or just, you know, put the TV on um, and paper over the cracks. Whereas I think, and I really, you know, truly hope that I can help my children to realize it's okay to have a toolkit of um, strategies that you can dive into when you feel like you need a little bit of support for yourself. Beautiful. And what makes you feel wildly awake? (sighs) Oh, um, anything um, getting into nature is there's a whole chapter in my book about the healing power of nature. So my my husband and I met um, when we hiked 140 kilometers across the Tarkine rainforest in Tasmania. Wow. And so for me, um, being amongst the trees, and it was, uh, I go into this much more in the book, but I basically, I didn't have a period for seven years after my husband died. My last period was on the day of his funeral. Mm. And uh, so I, I truly thought I might never be able to have babies. I might never be able to, you know, feel fully female again. And then, um, a week after we, I met my husband, as we began our hike across the Tarkine, my period came back. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I always, when I need to ground myself or re- refresh my mind, we will always um, delve into any patch of trees and go for a hike. And I always emerge feeling like a better version of myself. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's, oh, my it's been incredible. Before you go, I do want to make sure um, that we let people know where they can find you, also where mm-hmm. they can find The World is a Nice Place, How to Overcome Adversity Joyfully by yourself. Mm-hmm. So give yeah, us a so plug. You can get the book, um, <laughs> yeah, you can get the book in basically any, uh, any bookshops or any place that books are sold. But easiest way is to jump onto Booktopia if you're in Australia or onto Amazon if you're anywhere else in the world um, and you can grab it there. I know they've just done another big reorder of it, so you can definitely get it right now. Awesome. Um, and then, yeah, for me, um, my website is amymalloy.me or just jump onto Instagram. As I said, that's my favorite spot to share at the moment, which is amy underscore Malloy. And, yeah, you can, um, yeah, follow me on there and I'd love to hear from anyone with a story to tell. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's just been wonderful. Thanks for all your insight and those great tips. And, yeah, and if you do have a story to tell, maybe you should contact Amy. I think she's... Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I'm also doing, you know, a workshop, a digital workshop because right. I have babies, so real-life workshops are too difficult on, you know, um, non-fiction book writing, story for telling for healing. Um, and, yeah, we'll be sharing as much as I can within a few hours there. Fantastic. Well, if you have a link to that, do send it to me and I will make sure that I put it up in the show notes so that our listeners I will, can definitely. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Imogen. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.
Well, sisters, thank you so much for joining us on Wild Awake Women, and I look forward to delivering you a new episode in a couple of weeks' time. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group, you can send a member request to at Wild Awake Women, where you will find lots of Wild Awake Women with many offerings. We share articles with each other. We share therapies, modalities, tips, and all sorts of things. So it's a great place to connect with like-minded women, send a membership request there. If you're interested in becoming a women's circle facilitator or if you want to explore workshops, retreats or support groups for women, then I encourage you to take a look at my online course. It's available through my website, which is imogen-bailey.com or also on my doula website, which is honoringheart.com. I really enjoyed this episode and I look forward to being with you again soon. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.